Welcome to the Local Trust podcast. I'm Georgie Bear. Now you might be able to hear there's a lot of noise around me. That's because we're here for the launch of Developing Potential, Lessons from Community Experiences of Regeneration. Catch you, eh? Over the eight years of running Big Local, many big local areas have been telling Local Trust of their struggles in engaging with regeneration and development. From negative experiences of feeling that regeneration is being done to their community, to big locals wanting to actually attract development. So Local Trust asked development consultancy Blue Chula to lead research with five communities and create a guide for big local areas on how communities could gain from regeneration rather than lose out to it. So this is going to take up the whole of today's podcast, so let's get cracking. Here's James Goodman, who is the Director of Partnerships at Local Trust, and he is hosting the rest of the workshop. Hi everyone, thanks so much for coming along. Local Trust is a charity that was set up in 2012 to deliver the Big Local programme. And the Big Local programme is a, a lottery initiative that gives just over a million pounds each to 150 different communities across England, communities which uh, may be facing a range of different social and economic challenges and that hitherto had missed out on funding, support from government and from lottery and so on and so forth. We commissioned this work probably about a year ago. We were hearing from many of the communities who were experiencing actual regeneration or were under threat or hopes of regeneration that it was a very, very tricky issue. So we wanted to understand those challenges better, but we also wanted to put together a kind of toolkit for communities who knew they were moving into that space to help them and support them. So as part of this work, we have produced a great communities guidebook toolkit. And we also have as a separate report, the lessons that we've learned from the whole piece of research. The range of people in this room is really excellent. Everybody here has a role to play in shifting things forward. And whether from your perspective, it's about building trust, whether from your perspective, it's about getting regeneration done, or whether from your perspective it's about communities being more in control, we all have to work together in some way for that to happen. We know there's a lot happening in this space already. We'll hear a bit about that today. Where are the gaps? What's not happening that needs to happen? What role might you play? And also what role might local trust play as well? That's what we're here to do. And I think now I'm handing over to Chris and Helen Nicol, the co-author of the research of the report. is also community-led housing development manager at Locality and also the director of Blue Chula. So if you could come up here. I think the huge strength of this work is that it's firmly grounded in real people's real experience of estate regeneration. Uh, and I think those are the voices that probably particularly people right at the top of government just don't hear enough of. So I'm delighted to be having this chat. Helen, welcome. Could you just start with a brief outline of how you did the research and, and who was involved in that? What was, what was the information gathering phase? Let's start with that. Okay. David King got in touch with me and said some of the big local areas were articulating a real challenge with regeneration um, and development, not just state regeneration. Um, and was there something we could do to try and understand what the challenges were and to help them? We set up a methodology which was action research focused and invited all the big local groups to take part in the research. And five, well actually six areas initially came back, one of which wasn't in a position to work with us uh, at that stage. So 
I spoke with each of them, uh, identified what situation they were in and, and, and how we could move both move them forward and understand what their challenges were. It was evolutionary, but the stable part of it was always the workshops with communities, which we did in each of those and, areas. And were the common issues that came out, was everyone unique and completely different or were there themes that you saw on, in more than one situation? Initially, it wasn't really clear what the issues would be. I think that the real issues came out in the conversations and, and the work with the groups. In the recommendations paper, I've articulated the, the key issues, but there were other issues that came out that were very important and that a lot of the time there just wasn't the respect for individuals or their lives or what the impact of any regeneration would have on individuals and families actually so you know there are people in this room who have been massively affected by the lack of management of homes in the interim between deciding to do a regeneration and actually it happening what came out of the research really was very much in relation to power and, and the value of knowledge and experience in that community groups weren't valued. They did have an enormous amount of lived experience, obviously, because they live in the places. Their knowledge and skills wasn't valued, which is weird because everybody lives in a community and everyone's a resident. Suddenly, when you say a community group, it implies you can only run cake sales. Um, in terms of the more sort of policy orientated issues, we really had a lack of community or even individual resident involvement in any sort of governance on any of the projects at any level. And also a really big issue was the social infrastructure aspect in that it was always a bolt on, it was always policy driven, section 106 type approaches with no real thought about who would manage community assets lives are made in a livable place if there's not enough school places there are challenges of moving around getting your kids to school if there's not enough doctors then you've got healthcare issues if it's not green then you have well-being issues as well as health issues all of those things together are vital for everybody to think about and it's no one person or no one group or organization's remit everybody has to work together thank you very much thank you Now we've got a presentation from Dadarite Sopo from Welsh House Farm Big Local. She's going to share their experiences of regeneration and development. We have uh, an uneasy relationship with the Birmingham City Council. There was pretty much nothing going on in terms of engagement uh, to do with regeneration on Welsh House Farm prior to Big Local starting. And we thought we should try and engage City Council. There was the Keystone Centre, but we didn't have access to it. When we have activities, we have to ask for the keys just to use the toilet. And that's pretty much it. We are still having those discussions up to now. The city council seemed not to want to talk to us about giving us access to a community center that was built for the people. This is where we are. We're having a meeting, which they've postponed probably three, four times. We're now having it and uh, hopefully they will decide. There's just a lack of respect. We don't have enough power to force them to do anything and they don't think we are capable of even engaging with them with regards to access to the Keystone. So we sort of shifted our focus onto something else while we tried to have them have a think about it. There was a green space that we thought was uh, workable. But again, they were not having it. They were saying, oh, you, you guys are rich. You've got all this million pounds. Why don't you just buy it outright? Uh, it was built by European funding on social land and we have no access to it. And that's pretty much it. We are still having those discussions up to now. But as a big local, we're saying, we know we have these problems, but therein lies the opportunity for us to make inroads as well. We will keep trying. We make so much noise. The capabilities of the communities need to be scaled up. 
We are dealing with people who know their stuff and they know how to talk over people. They look at communities like ours, our held back communities, as people who don't know anything. People come with a lot of power and privileges. They enter our communities and they almost force us to accept their plans because they want to make us feel like it's a privilege, you know, them coming to us. No, it's a privilege for them to have us on the table. The communities are experts in their own lives, but they're not being given a chance or they don't have enough capabilities to deal with some of those opportunities to take advantage of them. If only councillors and architects and developers can bring us to the table as real, genuine, equal partners, communities are ready to do that. It needs everybody. Everybody needs to as a responsibility. Thank, Thank you, you. Dadarai. Another big local with experience in this area is the People's Empowerment Alliance for Custom House, or Peach, which is less of a mouthful. And we've got Hero Austin from there. Now Hero Austin from Peach. So a bit of background of Custom House. Do people know where Custom House is? No? It is in the sort of Royal Docks area of Newham, East London, Docklands, and it used to employ many thousands of people up until the late 70s. When that all closed, a lot of employment left the area and there's a lot of waterside developments, but the kind of industry of the area hasn't recovered. The housing of the area is like pretty bad. Then there's like very high waiting lists for affordable homes, very bad repaired housing, like not temporary housing, zero hour contracts, all of that kind of thing is what happens in Custom House. So within this context, we're thinking about the Custom House regeneration. It involves the high street, local businesses, local GP surgery. It is about a whole neighbourhood and place, like Helen was saying, it's not just housing. Our station is also set to become part of the Crossrail Elizabeth line whenever that happens. It's been delayed a little couple of times. And that's making it a very attractive new place for luxury homes and all of that kind of thing. So it feels a lot like when you walk around that bit of London that the land has become more valuable than the people. Housing wasn't originally our main priority as Peach, but it was kind of clear to us that the regeneration scheme here was so massive in scale, it's going to be the biggest change to this area since the Docklands are shut, so we kind of needed to get involved. And even more than that, we were looking at what happened at Canning Town, the first phase up further up the road. Rathbone Market, market which has been there for generations, closed and never recovered. So we sort of said we can't let that happen, and that's where Peach got involved. So what did we do? We decided that the alternative regeneration plan was something that we needed to do. It had been, by this point, eight to ten years since people had actually had like any real communication from the council about the regeneration scheme that was allegedly happening. We sort of founded this Peach Housing Club, which has over 200 members, and we started to recruit a team to work on the alternative regeneration project. And this is where we took some really key decisions about how this project was going to look. So oftentimes communities are asked to engage with these projects without payment. And there's loads, there's a whole raft of experts around the community that are getting paid loads of money. It's not a good deal. If you were looking at that and you're like, shall I get engaged with that? It's not, you're like, mm, I'm not sure if I will actually. So we, um, we put together this team, which was four architects and six organizers. Five of those organizers were local <coughs> residents. Two of them still work with us today as community organizers. And we made some key decisions. The, Architects would have to be trained in community organising. They would have to go door to door. They would have to understand what community organising was. And in return, they needed to teach us about architecture and regeneration. So it was a real knowledge exchange from the beginning. Local knowledge was treated 
and valued equally. So the community organisers and the architects were paid the same. There was no discrepancy in pay. We knocked on a thousand doors. We had hundreds of one-to-one -one conversations with residents who were being affected. We went to churches, schools, youth clubs, old people's homes, all the shopkeepers, everybody was involved. And from there, we used the information gathered to come up with four aims and six principles of regeneration. If you looked at the original council's master planning, it had like these big parks, everything was around the edge. But with us, we've got like these small courtyards because we did a play consultation and we asked all of the children who were part of our organisation, where do you play? Draw it. And everybody, all the kids drew the inside of their own homes. Where would you like to play? Outside. Why can't you play outside? Or well, there's nowhere safe that my mum can see me from her kitchen window. But there's no toilets in the park and it's across the busy road. So we can't have this kind of design. A lot of what we did this for was so that we could actually prove that we were legitimate and credible enough to have a seat at the table. So we knew that we were legitimate and credible enough to have a seat at the table around regeneration, but the council didn't necessarily believe that. So we started negotiating with Newham Council. Um, in May 2018, we had a new mayor elected, Roxana Fias. At our five-year anniversary, she committed to a few things, binding ballots on the regeneration plans, a vote at every stage. 50% um, social housing, a community land trust and genuine community involvement. At one point we were sort of really having our credibility challenge. That did we really represent the community? These kinds of questions. You always get asked those questions if you're doing something right at some point. So we were not too worried about that. We turned up to September's cabinet meeting this year with hundreds of peaches to represent the peach community members. Each of them had a name to represent one of our members. One of them was dressed as a peach. And we didn't ask for anything at that action. We just said, we're here and we want to celebrate ourselves in front of you and welcome back from the summer. And we gave the cake over. We got them to set up a co-production steering group that meets monthly to manage the regeneration. Now that's massive because usually that would only be done by officers and wouldn't be done by with the involvement of residents. Six community reps were selected by their own community in a proper election, not self-selected where the loudest voice wins and not selected by the council, which has no credibility. So how is this going? Well, the community reps have proven themselves to be pretty formidable and wonderful people who have engaged with the process really fully. And they've got key things in place that weren't before, such as like independent tenant advisors that they've procured and all of that kind of thing. But there's a whole section of other things which make up regeneration that's not just design, right? Who gets the homes at the end? What are the compromises around viability? All of these kinds of questions. Who's going to manage it in the future? What's the delivery model? All of these questions which are sort of floating in the background and are actually the really big important ones. Um, so I feel like we've got co-production design and then we've got loads of other stuff that we continually keep trying to like drag back into co-production. Final thing that I would say is that tensions always arise between communities and councils trying to do this kind of thing. If you're from a community group, I'd say don't shy away from that. It is really difficult, but if you are thinking about the long term of what you're trying to achieve, some tension is inevitable at some point along the way. Um, if you've got people knocking on the door outside trying to get in, it's noisy. If you've got people in the room talking about how they can do stuff together, it feels a lot better. So I think that's the thought that I would leave everybody with. Can we thank these two inspirational people? got some group work now so we're looking for one thing that's going to shift things forward but also what can you individually do 
So think about that as well. About 20 minutes of conversation on the table. Thank you. So tables are discussing everything they've heard and they're looking to come up with some learning points that they will share with everyone else in the room. Oh, there's some lively discussion over here. Let's go and see what that's about. The local authority is not going to capacity build themselves. So it's who takes charge of that. And that's the process. It's really that lack of understanding of governance structure. It is so complex. It is not just one easy fix like that there's so many competing factors there is ways of creating revenue out of our mixed use and, and housing projects on the fringes of Liverpool there is no value because there's no demand so I think there are lots of challenges they're just different depending on where we are geographically for some people for some stakeholders might perceive it like that whereas actually yeah there's nothing to be lost maybe for example in other areas if there's not a pressure for immediate housing there is probably pressure for jobs well, you can't start with housing. Well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's more as a consequence yeah. of something else shifting. Right. So transport as a large infrastructure element is generally a driver to development and continuation because it hinges on that. So there's all of these different competing elements that actually becomes the precursor around development, which even drives around economic and social elements. Let's hear what Table 2 are talking about. The public authority has massive amounts of leverage which they don't exercise. So having more confidence and capacity to actually set out, we want an engagement process like this and the bar on quality is going to be here and these are the following metrics, they'll do it because you need the site developed. But there's, but, there's You're committed. but there's nothing to stop the developers also doing that themselves and saying actually as part of our process we want to have that because we recognise that that actually means that our developments are going to be much much more sustainable and that's partly where some of the macro policy stuff needs to come in. One of the really interesting things in London has been within the London plan the, the expectation about social infrastructure was actually part of the whole planning process so that that actually opens up all sorts of opportunities mm -hmm. for community organisations to have different sorts of conversations with developers mm -hmm. about Section 106, SIL and things like that. The other bit for developers is there's hardly any good consultancies out there who actually do this stuff well. So yes. if, you're, if you're doing environmental sustainability for instance, there are loads who are fantastic. You do the social and the community bit. There's almost nobody to choose from, and what the service they offer is actually political engagement, not community yeah, so there's engagement. There's lots of good community organisations that can do that for you. Developers don't know who they are, no. so they don't know who to email. You know, there's literally a lack of conversation. Yeah. They're like, I'd love somebody great. I keep getting these guys who can just network with a member, and I know them already. Yeah. So yeah. who should I speak to? You know, yeah. who can help? So in our patch, what we've done is we've forced our way to the table and we've convened what we call our regeneration forum and we forced the council to meet with us every quarter and we went well when you do a consultation because of course you will won't you we will help you run it and they were like oh okay we elbowed our way in and forced them said, well we're the community group we're the guys that have been doing community engagement for years we know what we're talking about why would we not help you run a genuine community consultation of course we're going to and they were like well really that's so nice of you we're like well we've been asking you to let us <laughs> let's go over here and eavesdrop on table three agreeing the philosophy and the vision and the principles up front is perhaps the most critical point to any because then you can hold the detail up against uh, that headline contract if you've got something like a philosophy in a plan such as that you can kind of use it then as a bit of a weapon to try and get stuff done yeah james is now calling everyone to attention so let's hear what everyone's come up with we were supposed to come up with one idea we came up with four the one we spent most time talking about was the need to actually resource the building of capacity in communities beforehand and also resource people to participate in processes. There was discussion about the developer, 
The developers investing in social value stands to benefit in the long run. It will be cheaper in the long run to make that investment up front. We talked about how to work with and trust people and communities being a key part of professional development and projects having a social contract that would allow those in power in the project to be held to account. So those were the top level ideas that we came up with. Could we go to another table? We thought that if there could be an investment model which allows a conversation to begin to include residents as partners as early as possible, as Hero was demonstrating, hopefully all the other recommendations would flow from there. Part of that upskilling is obviously needed on both sides of the table so people know how to relate to each other. And then we also talked a little bit about densification and how so much so with regeneration at the moment, more needs to be built in most cases. And how do you sort of account for the future desires and needs of a community that aren't there yet? We explored that a little bit and we didn't necessarily have the answer, but talked a bit about whose views we should value basically in that situation and what is most valued. But the main thing, although we did have lots of ideas, <laughs> was an investment model which allows the conversation to start as early as possible. Should we go across to Matt? I think the feeling was that there was an absolute need to start with a commitment to co-production, that actually that should be the starting point, the, the prerequisite and power sharing, and then build from there in the design of everything that flows from that, which might include building up capability and confidence in the council, building community capacity and skills, exploring and deepening the developer commitment to it. But doing all of that before the gun is fired. You have the master plan, but before the master plan, you have the process plan, which describes how all of it's going to work. We also spent a bit of time talking about how for this to happen in some places, there was a need for a culture shift. But also there's quite a strong sense from some people involved that actually in some places the culture shift has already happened. If there's a gap in our report, it's that quite a lot of it is quite negative and doesn't recognise the extent to which some places do do it very well and we should be looking to learn and share that culture. Okay, thank you very much. So I think we talked about a lot of things that are very similar, but I think one of the things that we talked about first is how it's more about rather than creating an us versus them culture, everyone should be responsible for committing to open communication and transparency from the beginning. Leaving the council with the ability to question how they can actually do regeneration the best for all the players involved and also potentially questioning whether it needs to happen at all. Thank you very much. Let's get that up on the wall so people can see it. You're still writing. thought something else. <laughs> <laughs> we considered the capacity and capability in councils being a real issue and that actually all services have reduced massively and planning in particular has been decimated. So we talked about alternative ways for people to talk to each other and engage with each other, including how much community groups could actually be responsible for doing community engagement. Developers don't necessarily have a way of accessing those groups, which reflects the same challenge that communities have about finding out who to talk to in councils. If you don't know the networks, you don't know the networks. The other comment was that youth is always missing. The people we're building this stuff for, really. We've got a solution. Connect everybody and get hold of young people. Thank you. So we've asked people to make individual pledges and share what they will do to help shift power to communities. We've put pieces of paper on the tables for them to write on. So let's hear what they've got to say. Then we'd like to share uh, something they've written on the personal commitment sheet. Yep. So I work for uh, Lendlease, a uh, development company, and I've said that I can talk to my uh, fellow directors at uh, Lendlease about the importance of building uh, community capacity to work as partners 
and to invest money in doing so. And uh, I'd quite like to explore with local trust, big local, whether or not there could be some kind of mechanism from which we could, we could learn from what you've done and collaborate on it. Speaking from a, a resident point of view is just to keep on keeping on. Do not give up, even when you feel that you're despairing about things. Just keep on keeping on and keep on having a conversation with anybody that you can grab hold of. And eventually it will happen. I have faith in that. Yeah. <laughs> I work for the UK Green Building Council. For those of you who don't know us, we represent quite a lot of um, private sector built environment organisations. I run the Social Value Programme. We really want to take the things that are best practice and that do work and put those in front of those organisations and hope they get inspired by it and um, try out themselves. And leading on from that, I work for the London Sustainable Development Commission. Uh, we advise the Mayor of London on his duty to deliver sustainable development. And we'd like to gather as many stories of good and bad practice that we can illuminate some of the uh, issues and also try and get some solutions. So it's been really interesting today. Thank you. One more thing. It's about jargon. Don't be frightened of the jargon that people use try and beat them at their own game and make up your own jargon. <laughs> um, mine is that I am quite excited that I saw my MD put his hand up because I work for Lendley's as head of community engagement, so I'll ensure that happens. <laughs> Great. I'm going to hand to Chris. The conversation will obviously continue. Um, my personal one is actually I just like to keep working with big local groups. I think you guys are utterly inspirational. So thank you for, for that. Floating <laughs> around the tables, there were fantastic insights. The first one is the one about funding and starting capacity building and community organising before the beginning. I'd written down then, community expertise is valuable, but I changed it listening to the feedback. Everyone's expertise is valuable and must be at the decision-making table. And if there isn't a table, bring your own. Third one is co-produce everything, not just the design, the social infrastructure in its widest sense. That doesn't just mean community centres. It means all sorts of other stuff is fundamental to people's lives. And one that I picked up going around the table is local people are usually positive about positive change in their neighbourhood. But it's a basic human emotion that we all want to feel ownership of that process and that solution. If it was your house, you'd probably want to be involved. We don't just need to scare people with the downside of getting these processes wrong. We need to convince them of the benefits of doing it right. And I think that's what today's been all about. Thank you very much. We've had such rich conversation today and we've heard some really exciting collective ideas from the groups and I think some pretty strong individual actions as well which we will definitely be following up. So if you're a big local or a council or a developer and you want to get involved with helping more communities gain power in development settings then please get in touch with Local Trust. And of course you can find all our podcasts on the Local Trust website or wherever else you find your podcasts. That's all from me. Good night.